You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Wind came up the door, closed on me, and the children were screaming. Welcome. Neverland is mine. <laughs> we're going to bring ghosts from all over the world. Join us. Be sure to bring your death certificate. Oh my goodness, what's happened here? Lost Boy Eric said it was scary in Neverland these days, but I never expected this. This is worse than the time that I had to help Mortis clean the basement at the Main Street Cinema. <sighs> well, it looks like the ghost host has gained access to Jeremy's home here in Disney, Indiana, and it's starting to look as bad as this place. I hate to think what that monster could do to the rest of the town. That's why we're here. We're going to put a stop to this ghost host once and for all. You know, Scott... This kind of reminds me of that time when we were talking about that horror comedy, The Little Shop of Horrors. Well, hey, guys. Hey. So uh, <laughs> I'm still kind of winging ideas around for what I'm going to do in October. Uh, I've been talking to a lot of different people and, you know, figuring out what everybody's doing for October. Mm-hmm. And uh, One of the things I thought about doing is like, gee, you know, maybe we should talk about some old movies or something. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, uh, there's actually a Disney connection to the 1986 Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, there's so I sev- thought that would be kind of fun. There's several Disney connections to that film. Really? Uh, yeah. Although if you're talking old movies, then we have to go back to the original Little Shop of Horrors, which came out in 1960. Mm-hmm. But no Disney connections there. Yeah. Not that <laughs> I, I dug a little bit and I, I didn't have any luck finding any. <laughs> Well, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm talking to Scott and Tracy of Disney, Indiana. Hey, howdy, hey. And we're talking to uh, Jeremy from the Neverland podcast. Yeah. <laughs> In case no one knows what they're listening to. Because, you know, by October, something weird could happen and everything could just seem entirely different. You know, that's the way things work around here. True. That's very true, especially around here. And, mm-hmm. any, and anything that Mortis is even closely related to. <laughs> Oh, uh, I hear that TCM is actually going to show the the classic Little Shop of Horrors, and uh, so I'm kind of excited. I wanted to watch it. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but uh, I did a little bit of research on Roger Corman, and uh, okay, so here's the funny part. He, well, he kind of co-wrote, but it was more written by this other fellow by the name of Griffith. I think it was Robert Griffith. Let me, Charles B. Charles. Griffith. Yes. Charles B. Griffith. And apparently him and Roger Corman were out bar hopping. And they started discussing an idea about a guy who has a salad bar and eventually starts serving human parts in the salad. Mm-hmm. They thought that wasn't going to go over so well with uh, the movie council, you know, whoever was in charge of making everything clean or whatever. And so they do blame it on the fact that they were bar hopping on such a ridiculous idea, but they suddenly thought man-eating plant. And apparently they couldn't take the idea seriously. So this is kind of a farce. It's definitely a horror comedy. Uh, and despite, you know, uh, Roger Corman had kind of a history, he started making Edgar Allan Poe adaptions and a lot of other really weird uh, movies. I mean, The Monster from the Ocean Floor. It Conquered the World. 
<laughs> the day the world ended. Yeah, he's he is one of the B-movie masters. Mm-hmm. And another fun little fact about The Little Shop of Horrors, part of the reason that this film was made is that Roger Corman was given access to some sets that had been left standing from a previous film. And they said, okay, you've got a couple days before they're torn down. If you want to do something with them, go for it. So he had basically two, three days to shoot. Well, the the two days was more than the fact that it was just the sets were standing. Uh, This film was made in the last two days of December 1959. Mm -hmm. Actually, from what I've been reading, uh, he had the week from Christmas until New Year's. And there was actually a little bit of information now. I'm not sure how accurate some of this was, but there was going to be some sort of rule change in filmmaking that taking place on January 1st of yep. 1960 that he wanted to make sure he also finished before that time. Yes, because uh, that new rule that was supposedly going to affect would pay all actors residuals for all future releases of their film. And <laughs> Corman's business model didn't include that. So he wanted to try to get out at least one more movie before that new rule came into play. Yeah, and when you watch it, it almost it feels like a stage play because of such limited sets mm-hmm. and how it seems to be all run together. It, it just felt like a stage play when I watched it. Yeah. Well, going back to you talking about this kind of changing plots. Now, when Corman saw those sets, apparently the first thing that kind of popped into his and Grip- Griffith's head was to do some sort of detective movie. And in fact, they cast one of their actors, Jackie Joseph, who plays Audrey, telling her it was a detective movie. Because she oh says, my goodness. yeah, she says, while I was flying back to make the movie, I think they wrote a whole new script in the horror genre over one weekend. <laughs> so that must have been quite a challenge for her, thinking you were going in to film something detective or film noir and having it end up being this. Yeah, and I had some fun recognizing her in this movie. She's got such a distinct smile that you can't help but recognize her. And it's very funny that you have both Jackie Joseph and Dick Miller in this film. Well, go ahead. The reason why I find this funny is, okay, so this is horror comedy. Now, they started working with director Joe Dante for two major films that people will know as being a horror comedy and a bit absurd, but they played the Futterman since both of the Gremlins movies. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I absolutely love. And then, of course, the not-so-great movie, but still kind of fun, Small Soldiers, also from director Joe Dante. They both had a role in that one, but I, I don't recall the role that they had in that one because I think I've watched that movie maybe twice. Because it's, it's just no gremlins, really. Yeah, we, we <laughs> saw that one back in the theater, and I remember it more from the fact that it's Phil Hartman's last film, more than anything. Wow, was that really his last one? Yes, it's actually wow. uh, tribute, attributed to him at the end. Oh, my goodness. Has it been that long? Yep. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but wow. Wow. Now, we mentioned Jackie Joseph. She played Audrey Fulquard. Um, most of the other actors aren't names most of us would recognize, but they were, you know, common in Corman, Corman films. So we've got Jonathan Hayes, who played Seymour Krelboyne. Uh, Mel Wells played Gravis Mushnick, the flower shop owner. Uh, John Shaner is Dr. Phoebus Farb, who is a dentist. <laughs> but there is one name in a very minor role that I think just about all your listeners will recognize. Drum roll. <laughs> it's the Joker. 
Jack Nicholson. Oh, my goodness. And he is actually very funny in this part. Yes, this is one of his first film roles. Yep. And to kind of sum it up for anyone who hasn't seen the original, if you think of the 86 version in Bill Murray's character of just loving pain and visiting the dentist, that was Jack Nicholson. Yes. But I love the way it plays out in the original because uh, Seymour has so far accidentally killed victims for the plant, and he has accidentally killed this masochistic dentist, and so he's trying to hide the fact, and so Seymour pretends to be the dentist <laughs> mm-hmm. and goes out there thinking he's going to get scot-free, and then there's Jack Nicholson just sitting there like reading like pain magazine and stuff like that oh yes yeah i think i need a long root canal (laughs) (laughs) and seymour is just freaking out like what am i gonna do but you know so he just drills away and the guy's just loving it and then they have this ridiculous cartoonist shot at the end where where when uh, jack nicholson is leaving he turns around and his teeth are uh let's just say the typical hillbilly teeth exactly they're missing Now, I about fell over. <laughs> now, if people actually want to seek out this film, it's very easy to find because um, they never bothered to copyright the film when they released it. <laughs> the film is in the public domain, and anybody, you know, it's on the internet all over the place. If yeah. you want to, archive.org should have a copy. Yep. YouTube, all over YouTube, I'm sure. So it's not hard to find, or it's in a lot of. Uh, dollar bins and stores usually yeah, you can find it you know 50 horror films it's it's usually kind of there <laughs> yeah yeah and it's definitely worth a watch because it is funny <laughs> and, and some of the most ridiculous things like the old woman who comes in about everybody in the film who has died is somehow or another related to this woman and so she keeps having to come into this flower shop to buy flowers for the funeral <laughs> and there's kind of an interesting did you catch her name uh, oh, let me look that up real quick. Uh, I, heard, I, I don't remember the actress's name, but the character name is Siddha Shiva. Mm-hmm. Siddha, yeah, there, there it is, and played by yeah. Layla Wendorf. Which is a reference to the Jewish practice of sitting Shiva, which is something you do after a death in the family. <laughs> Very perfect. Yes. Well, did you also catch the name of the police officers? Uh, well, I remember the one Joe Fink. Yeah, Fink and, and then Stooley. Frank Stooley. <laughs> yes. And and for those of us that are big Dragnet fans, you will definitely get that vibe off of them. <laughs> yeah, Joe and Frank. <laughs> dun, it was dun, very dun. much like a, a Dragnet episode got merged into this ridiculous. <laughs> That's something else I about fell off the couch, and my wife was looking at me like, "What?" Are you doing? But uh, yeah, it was just. Just ridiculous, because anytime somebody's mentioned a die, that lady's going to show up and say, oh, hey, you know, that was my uncle's cousin. And then, of course, you have, uh, we didn't really talk about Dick Miller's character, where he just comes in and likes to eat plants, so he'll buy a dozen roses and stand there and eat them. And he even gets curious about Audrey Jr., because this is not Audrey too. Audrey Jr., he was in the, starts to wonder what Audrey would taste like. And it's just kind of funny, because you think, oh, look, here's the man-eating plant and the plant-eating man. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, one other difference with this original film, Audrey Jr. was a character, or pardon me, Audrey Jr. was a plant that Seymour created. She was crossbred from a butterwort and a Venus flytrap. 
But he does mention finding some of the stuff he used at a, a Chinese shop of some sort. But he did crossbreed the seeds and mess mm-hmm. around with something. But he did find something weird, but we don't get anything specific. And I kind of like the explanation a little bit better in the 1986 version. Well, before we get to the 86 version, uh, can we mention the 1982 musical. Oh, yeah, we definitely got to get into that. (laughs) That's our Disney connection. (laughs) Well, it's the start of our Disney connection. Right, the beginning. (laughs) Other than the fact that there's some actors, you know, that that crossed over, you know, Mm -hmm. that did some work with Disney, some very prominent movies. So this musical was created by two very familiar names to Disney fans, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. Ta-da! Disney. (laughs) It is based on the original film, but they made some pretty major changes. I mean, the plot's the same, but they gave the dentist a more important role. He became Mm -hmm. Audrey's abusive boyfriend, and Audrey Jr. is now Audrey II, and apparently it came from outer space. (laughs) Yeah. It's even a better explanation, like I said, than him crossbreeding it with something weird he found at a Chinese shop in a Venus flytrap. Mm-hmm. Which does make for some of the humor because uh, Mushnik knows about the plant in the original film and is always asking, okay, is it going to eat anybody else? And they're saying, no, well, Venus Flytrap only eats three times. It's got to be done now. Then it's always (laughs) very comically going, feed me. Mm -hmm. It's just very insistent. (laughs) Another sort of Disney reference, at least tangentially uh, associated, the original Audrey 2 puppets for the musical. They were designed and operated by Martin Robinson, and uh, he's a member of the Jim Henson Company, Hmm. and uh, he was best known for his work on Sesame Street, and he took over the role of Mr. Snuffleupagus in 1980, and he still um, has that role. Oh, cool. I did not know that. Now, even though this musical was put together, you know, it was, it was produced in 1982, it never made it to Broadway during its first run. However, it did run from 1982 to 1987, having about 200, pardon me, having about 2,200 performances, which made it the third longest running musical at the time and the highest grossing production in off-Broadway history. Which is very impressive. Yes, it did. It did finally come to Broadway in two thousand three, and the Hunter Foster, who played Seymour in that role, was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical. Cool. Uh, have they ever toured that show around the Broadway version? They did. It looked like they did do a tour in two thousand four. As far as I know, if they haven't come through Kansas City, because yeah. I would like to see it, even though the ending is uh, not quite as happy. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we saw a local production of Little Shop of Horrors, what, about five, six years ago? Five, six years ago here in... uh, in, Disney, uh, Indiana. Disney, Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) And they did a really good job. Um, Apparently, that if you're going to do a production of Little Shop of Horrors, you get designs for building the puppets that are based on that original Martin P. Robinson design. Wow. Now, what some companies do is they build their own puppet, but then rent it out to other, you know, specific theater organizations or other companies that want to put on the production 
to help recoup some of their construction costs. <laughs> and I think that's what the local yes. civic theater did. Because you, you've got that – the Audrey uh, 2 puppet has to be huge, especially by the end of the play when it has to yeah. devour people. Yeah, and I can see that you would probably save a lot of money if you're a smaller theater and you don't have a big budget. You, you probably couldn't afford to build it, but maybe you can afford the rental cost mm-hmm. to to get it from someone else. So it, it benefits everybody. Yep. And I I wonder how well you how you would move it because uh, I, I on some of the behind the scenes of the film they talk about when uh, the plant got big enough to start having full conversations uh, voiced by uh, one of the was he one of the four tops I always forget but um. We'll get into that, I'm sure. Uh, but they actually had to slow the film down to make the, the plant move seem to move fast enough to talk. So Because the plant could only move at a, sl- at a certain speed. Mm-hmm. And any time Rick Moranis was in shot with the, the plant, he had to actually slow himself down to the plant's speed. Which is why you'll notice a lot of the shots are kind of back and forth between them. And you, you don't see him in shot with the talking part of the plant very often. Well, let's uh, let's get into that 1986 film and introduce another Disney connection. The director of the original film is Frank Oz. Ta da! <laughs> Disney, <laughs> Miss Piggy himself. <laughs> and well, Yoda? the original yes. in Yoda, yes. He's all kinds of Disney connected, and uh, he's even in uh, Monsters Incorporated. Uh, I forgot the character's name. Yep. Has the glasses though. He's kind of the the unwilling sidekick for uh, <laughs> for Randall there. Uh, and I think didn't he have a part in Inside Out somewhere as well? I think you're right, but up. I don't quite remember. I'd have to. But uh, outside of Disney, he's one of my favorite places to ever see him is in uh, the Blues Brothers, where he plays the uh, prop master at the prison when Jake is being released. I've never seen it. Oh. <laughs> ah, yes, Frank Oz was the subconscious guard Dave, and Dave Goals actually is the subconscious guard Frank. That's and Frank right. Dave Goals, of course, Gonzo, still to this day. <laughs> so with the uh, 1986 film, it's kind of started with music producer David Geffen, who was one of the original producers also of the Off-Broadway show, mm-hmm. and he got Frank Oz interested uh, sat down with him and Howard Ashman, and they worked on the script and decided to go for it. And if you wanted to play like Seven Degrees of Separation to Disney, David Geffen is also what produced Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. So there, I've connected Kurt Cobain to Disney. <laughs> <laughs> now, there is uh, some different music uh, in the film as opposed to the Broadway play. Uh, there was a song in the Broadway play called "Ya Never Know," and this song was rewritten into "Some Fun Now," which is kind of a calypso style song, which is one of my favorite songs in the play. Yeah, it is a good one. And uh, there was an additional song that was uh, not in the Broadway play that was added for the film, uh, written by Ashman and Mencken, called "Mean Green Mother from Outer Space." Which is another one I get stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it went through a few changes. Uh, if you ever, if you ever managed to find the soundtrack, there's an alternate version of that song. Yep. Uh, there's also, I believe, they did include a, a song that, would, that was left out of the film called "Don't Feed the Plant," which was the original bad ending, which is a really great number, but a really <laughs> sad ending of the film.
Well, when they originally filmed, they filmed what was the Broadway play. And, you know, spoiler alert, the end of the play, everybody dies. Except yep. Audrey. <laughs> Except for Audrey, Audrey too. too, yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, Audrey, too. Yeah, Audrey actually succumbs to her injuries. And it's funny, when you watch the movie, you can kind of tell where she kind of says, oh, I'm not okay, and she she goes down. That's where the cut comes in where now uh, she's alive and Seymour's going to kind of pick her up off the ground. But in the original cut, she dies right there, and Seymour actually goes ahead and just feeds her to the plant. Yep. Which yeah. is why it's able to grow the roots that and, and start walking around in the pot that we kind of see still in the movie. But you don't really think about it. That well, Wait a minute. How was it able to have that growth spurt? But yes, the song Don't Feed the Plants then plays at the end of the Broadway play and at the last scenes of the movie, which sh- is showing Audrey 2's basically taking over the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, giant Godzilla-sized <laughs> Audrey 2's marching down the street, <laughs> tearing up buildings. <laughs> It's it's pretty funny. It's just kind of sad. Yes. <laughs> that that ending was supposedly lost for years. They made it, they showed it to some test audiences, and the test audiences did not like the sad ending. They wanted a happy ending mm-hmm. for these characters. Yeah, especially after suddenly Seymour, and you have a really kind of good I Want song. Oh, yeah. That, and Alan Menken <laughs> will tell you, a good I Want song, that's... You are now sold that that character must achieve that goal, and if they don't, you're really going to be disappointed. And yeah, there's there's definitely uh, I, I don't know if you consider it part of the I want really at the beginning with the um, uh, the Skid Row song. You kind of get a little bit of an I want from uh, from Seymour right there, and then you have a really good I want song from Audrey with the uh, Somewhere That's Green song. That was the one I was going to say. And yeah. Have you ever listened to Somewhere That's Green and Part of Your World back to back? No, I haven't. Uh, yeah, they're Ashman very, very close. Of, yeah, he kind of <laughs> sort of plagiarized himself there, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, I'm going to now play those both back to back right now. I want to be where the people are. I want to see, want to see them dancing, walking around on those, what do you call them? Oh, feet. Flipping your fins, you don't get too far. Legs are required for jumping, dancing, strolling along down a, what's that word again? Street. Up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun, wandering free. Wish I could be part of that world. A matchbox. Of her own, a fence, a frail chain link, a quill out on the patio, disposal in the sink, a washer and a dryer, and an ironing machine, and a tract house that we share somewhere that's green. And we're back. <laughs> it's all right to plagiarize yourself because it is your own stuff. And I love both songs. Yes. Right. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, having the bad ending does still keep with the the original 1960s black and white because although it's a little bit, it's kind of a funny bit where uh, 
Seymour is determined to make the plant stop doing that, and he's going to go in after some people and try to pull them out or something. And he climbs up in, and stands there in the plant. Yep. <laughs> and then just down he goes. Mm-hmm. At least in the bad ending for the 86, Seymour goes down fighting. <laughs> I thought he went down fighting in the original film, too. It's no, been he a while actually, since I've seen it. He actually just steps right yeah. up into the mouth thinking he's going to help somebody and just swoop right down in there. Yeah, he thinks the plant won't eat him because he's right. oh, his that's plant. Right. That's right. <laughs> Wrong-o, bucko. <laughs> He might have tried to spit him out because all the stuff his mother would always feed him all these medicines that she would call food. You know, you would think he would taste kind of nasty and medicine-y, but I guess the plant doesn't have taste buds. Let's talk a little bit about some of the actors. Now, originally, the studio wanted Cindy Lauper to play the role of Audrey. Which would have been interesting. It would have been interesting. Uh, She turned it down, and instead we got Ellen Green, who originated the role of Audrey in the stage musical. And I would have a really hard time seeing anybody else play that role now. Yeah, especially because as as goofy as her speaking voice that she uses is, when she starts singing, my gosh, she's Mm -hmm. amazing. Oh, yes, she is. And then we have Rick Moranis playing Seymour. Yes, and of course, Disney audiences will know him from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Honey, I Blew Up the Baby, and did they keep making those things? Well, there's Honey, I Shrunk the Audience theme park ride. Exactly. That's not there anymore. Something about the dog, too. There were three films. It was Honey, I Blew Up the Kid was, <laughs> yeah. I think, the last film where he actually yeah. enlarged the baby. Mm-hmm. Right. And blew up the kid. And then, it, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, which that I think was, was straight to video. <laughs> I didn't see that one. <laughs> and then we've also got um, Steve Martin. Oh, yes. Um, wonderfully playing the um, the dentist. <laughs> I, I, I love his, his when he's singing um, about being a dentist. That's That's a great scene. Yeah, it's it's very funny. Which, only Steve Martin could have pulled that 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 character off that way. I mean, I've seen him sing in two movies that I really like because I also like um, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and he sings Maxwell's Silver Hammer. In that wow. film, I'll have to put that on my list of must watch that at some point because I still uh, haven't I don't seen know that. Oh, well, really? The, the movie is not that good, but it has good scenes. Yeah, you might want to try to YouTube just individual performances. <laughs> but Steve Martin doing Maxwell Silverhammer is really good. Yes. Okay, I'll write that down on my list of YouTube videos to search later. <laughs> now, as this film was um, created in. 1986 there of course is no cgi so all of audrey's scenes are actual puppeteering and there's also no blue screens or optical special effects in audrey's two scenes except for that reshot ending where it gets electrocuted (laughs) yeah so they had six different sizes of the plant and what I thought was interesting is they also made different versions of Mushnik's shop, including one where the shop is shrunk down a little bit, kind of like Disney does uh, 5-8 scale. Mm-hmm. To make, forced perspective. Yeah, forced perspective to make the plant look larger. Which is also a really good trick. <laughs> what amazes me is it, takes, it took 60 technicians to operate the one-ton puppet at the end of the film. 
And Brian Henson was one of them. And yes, he was. Yay! Come, come right out of the creature shop. And there's a lot of even great cameos uh, when we're talking about the cast and stuff. Uh, and I, I forgot his name, uh, but he was in The Princess Bride as the Six Finger Man. He's in Spinal Tap. Christopher Tappen. Guest. Christopher Guest. I love the fact that he's got this such a goofy, cheesy character that he just comes in for a couple minutes as the first person to buy a few dozen roses because he saw the plant. And you also have, um, oh, just blanking on his name. Uh, John Candy has a good cameo as uh, uh, the radio guy. The radio okay. host. No, mm-hmm. the guy that wants to buy Audrey 2 and then put Seymour. Oh, um, Belushi. Jim yes. Belushi. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which is kind of fun because you mentioned, uh, you know, Blues Brothers Blues earlier. Brothers John Belushi movie. Yes, <laughs> but this is his brother, Jim. It's all connected. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the name you were trying to uh, is Levi Stubbs. He yes. is the voice of Audrey 2. Amazing job in this film. He is he's great. Oh, he, he sells that movie, really. <laughs> I mean, the, the entire soundtrack is on my iPod, and I will listen to it quite a bit. And I love his singing of Mean Green Mother from Outer Space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's so good. He was an American baritone singer, best known as lead vocalist for the R&B group The Four Tops. Uh, the band was known for a variety of Motown hit records and other songs created in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, let me see if I can find a few. Oh, you know what? He's actually got a, a, a thing here for voice acting. Uh, so not an actor per se. Stubbs provided the voice of the carnivorous plant, Audrey 2, in the 1986 movie version of The Little Shop of Horrors, and the voice of Mother Brain in the animated TV series Captain N, The Game Master. I remember that show. <laughs> <laughs> and I always did connect with Mother Brain. It's like, that sounds like Audrey 2. But, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, in another minor role, we have Tisha Campbell as yeah. one of the three singers. She was Chiffon. I, was, I love their characters because they're kind of the equivalent of the Greek chorus. They're commenting right. on everything that's going on and providing a lot of the transitions between scenes for us. Uh, she was on A Different World. Seen her on television and then, you know, seeing her in that movie and, and singing, which I didn't realize she could sing until I saw that movie. I was like, holy cow, she can sing. She can sing, yes. Well, she has one album? She appeared on an, an episode or two of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as well. But uh, we mentioned earlier about the the original ending and that it had been lost for a while. Uh, there was a, a Blu-ray that came out about two, three years ago that had... It was the first time that the original ending was officially available. There was actually a DVD that came out that had the original ending, Mm -hmm. but was pulled because it had that original ending. And rumors was that either they didn't have the somehow didn't have the rights to it or Frank Oz killed it. There was a lot of different rumors of why that DVD was killed. And for a while, it was going for astronomical figures on um, on eBay. Well, apparently David Geffen was the one who pulled it because he says they put out a black and white, unscored, undubbed video copy of the original ending that looked like bleep. (laughs) (laughs) And it literally did. B-L-E-E-P. It just looked like a big bleep right in the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Because that was the only copy anyone had. It was a work print that had been made to show to the cast and crew. October 2012... 
They found the color negatives for it. They reconstructed, Warner Brothers reconstructed and restored the ending. With yeah, the, the, the negatives. rumor I heard, it was actually from the personal collection of Frank Oz. Hmm. It's, it's a rumor I've heard. It, uh, the article that we're looking at here on Wikipedia doesn't mention that, but I remember at the time that it was an actual uh, copy that Frank Oz had in his collection. Right. Interesting. And it, huh? Yeah, it was originally just called The Intended Cut, but once Frank Oz started to kind of support the fact that that had, was being released, then they was oh, this is the director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if on the Blu-ray, if it has both versions available, that would actually be pretty cool. It, it does. Mm-hmm. So you can watch it as it was in the theaters or how it was originally intended. And that will now go on my shopping list of something I'm going to have to hunt for. Because I don't remember seeing that on the uh, shelves, but I, I must be out there somewhere. Christmas is coming. Exactly. Hello, somebody want to shop for me? I know it's several months away, but yeah. if people feel like being generous. and <laughs> There's also a new Nintendo that somebody should buy me, too. Oh. <laughs> the, uh, you know, what is it, like $70 will get you, like, the retro has, like, 40 games and an extra controller. You know, that'll be out in time for Christmas, too. So, awards-wise... Um, Little Shop of Horrors was nominated for two Academy Awards, one for Best Visual Effects, which should not be a surprise, Yeah, <laughs> and the other for Best Original Song, which should not be a surprise. However, the fact that it was Mean Green Mother from Outer Space was a bit of a surprise, <laughs> because not only was it the first Oscar-nominated song to contain profanity in the lyrics... <laughs> yeah. It was also the first of only two songs sung by a villain to have ever been nominated for an Academy really? Award. Yes, the the other one is Blame Canada from South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Wow. I'm trying to think now, because has Disney, the, the Disney villain song, is that kind of a new thing that maybe Alan Menken and uh, Howard Ashman kind of brought to us? Because I'm trying to think in any old movies, did a villain ever actually have a song before? Uh, what about Corella DeVille? Well, but she didn't she, sing she that. She didn't sing it, but it is a song about it's, her. Yeah, it's about her, but it's, it's it's a song about a villain, but it's not the villain performing the song. That's where I'm thinking oh, differently. Okay. I thought of one. Hmm. Every Little Piece from Pete's Dragon. There you go. Oh, yes. Okay, so then we do have one. But, it, yeah, I guess it wasn't completely commonplace. So, you know, with them getting an Academy Award for creating the first villain-performed songs, and, you know, I because. Well, we, they, did, we, they really did start a trend. It became a there was always a good villain song and stuff that uh, one of them at least worked on, and even a lot of stuff in the nineties that they didn't work on. You have some really good villain songs, so I'm I, going I, to blame them for a tradition. <laughs> unfortunately, they were just nominated. They didn't actually win best original song. It uh, lost to "Take My Breath Away" from Top Gun. Oh, of course. Well, they can keep the thing because it don't meet. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the film also received a nomination for Best Motion Picture Comedy Musical, which it lost to Hannah and Her Sisters, and Best Original Score, which it lost to a score by Inicio Morricone, which, fair enough, for the mission. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some of the music, because if you can beat Alan Menken, you've got to be good. Yes, and uh, um, Morricone is pretty good. <laughs> well, he's no John Williams, but he's good. <laughs> That's as much as I can comment on him because I have no idea who he is. <laughs> oh, you need to watch some old westerns. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes. Oh, okay. Now that I'm familiar with. I haven't seen the movie, but I know how big the score is on that one. Okay. 
So we've, we've talked a little bit about the awards that uh, Little Shop of Horrors has won. We talked about the release. It's, you know, had multiple home video releases. Mm-hmm. Where else do we want to go? Oh, I, was, I thought maybe you had some where you were going with that. <laughs> I was figuring, okay, here's the segue going. <laughs> and and, and then that segue. fail. Well, actually, I, I can add, apparently there was an animated TV series based what? on Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, in 1991, I vaguely, vaguely remember seeing ads for it. I I don't remember this. I am Googling it as we speak. Little Shop is a 1991 American animated fantasy comedy television series that aired on Saturday mornings on the Fox Kids TV network in 1991 about a teenager and a giant talking plant. Little Shop was based off the off-Broadway musical, which was based on a 1960 Roger Corman film. Uh, my goodness. Uh, but yeah, this is self-proclaimed nerd Seymour Krellborn, an adolescent boy who works in a flower shop, keeps a pet Venus flytrap named Junior. Junior sprouted from a 200 million year old seed and has the ability to talk and hypnotize people. Only Seymour is aware of Junior's abilities. So the flower shop is owned by stodgy Mr. Moshnik, whose daughter, Audrey, is the object of Seymour's affections. Audrey, however, does not seem to reciprocate his feelings, and Buckdooth Pain Driller, a neighborhood bully, continuously targets Seymour. Pain Driller, yes. Bucktooth. <laughs> you know, and looking at some of the images, oh, this was actually developed by Marvel Productions. Disney. Disney. There we go. <laughs> and Saban International, former Disney. Yes. My goodness. And I actually have, uh, when I've looked this up, there are some clips on YouTube, and actually looks like an entire episode. Uh, episode six of the little known short lived series is uh, I Low the Parade, and it is available on YouTube if you want to check this out. <laughs> I think I vaguely remember seeing uh, ads for this because the imagery looks very familiar, and it's. Uh, a very weird, badly drawn style, but uh, <laughs> I seem amusing. to remember it looking kind of like the real Ghostbusters. Maybe yeah, I wouldn't call it that quality. It's it's it looks like those um, low budget Canada or Canadian animation you used to see, where a character might all be one color. Not that these characters are all one color, but they have weird pointy noses uh, and mis about as misshapen as uh, Phineas and Ferb, <laughs> but worse. Well, I guess if they made a cartoon series out of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, you can make one out of anything. Exactly. And I do remember that cartoon as well. <laughs> I think I watched a couple episodes even. <laughs> now, that one I do remember, and I did watch a couple episodes, but I never watched Little Shop. Yeah, see, now I'm going to have to get on YouTube and check this out because uh, it just seems bizarre enough. I'd probably like it. <laughs> I'm, uh, how many episodes were there? I bet it only lasts about a season. Uh, 13 episodes. Yeah, about a season. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it might have had almost the same style as it. Did y'all see the Adams Family cartoon yep. that, that oh, they yeah. had on? Which I, I couldn't get into. It just wasn't as much fun as like even the original television series. It was very weirdly drawn, but it seemed to fit the characters how weirdly they were drawn. Mm -hmm. It's 13 episodes from September 7th to November 30th, 1991. Wow. And how quickly forgotten. Yes. Well, they do hmm. have a couple, by, judging by their titles, they had a couple of uh, holiday-themed one. There's one called Halloween Story, and there's another one called It's a Wonderful Leaf. <laughs> but the one that intrigues me the most is there's an episode called Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I like the title Back to the Fuchsia myself. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, see, now I have to definitely dig these 13 episodes up somewhere and watch them. <laughs> I, I don't recognize any of the cast voice characters, at least the main ones. For additional voices, there's a couple names I recognize, like Tara Strong. Roger, oh, Roger Corman is listed as a creative consultant. Really? So, you know, well, because it does look like they went a little bit more to his style when they referred to uh, the plant as Junior. Yep. So or let's They may see. have just thrown some money his way so he wouldn't sue. So, yeah, I don't I don't think this uh, show made any stars out of anyone. Well, except for Tara Strong. Oh, well, yeah, Tara Strong. She was probably in multiple things before this. <laughs> yeah, uh, and Tara Strong, I'm trying to think, was she one of the Powerpuff Girls? I might be wrong yes, about that. Yes, she was. Uh, she was in yeah. Rats, Powerpuff. Fairly odd parents. Drawn together. Yes. Yeah, so probably stuff like that made her more of a star than this little show did. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I would imagine. My goodness. Well, who would have thought? So I'm definitely. This was a uh, series music by Shuki Levi and Haim Saban. That's very interesting because uh, uh, they are also known for doing like the theme song like uh, for He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Uh, I think they might have written the theme for the Power Rangers, which they did, you know, produce bringing that here into the States. Uh, they are they are known for doing a lot of things. Plus, Shuki Levi, I, I think he even had his own animation company that he was running. He, I think he branched away from Hanna-Barbera, if I remember correctly. And you saw a lot of uh, cartoon series in the 80s that had that Hanna-Barbera style, but you would have, uh, I believe, Shuki Levi's name on the end, if I'm thinking right. I'm trying to flash back to the 80s here. <laughs> I do this frequently. But uh, I think uh, that's where I'm familiar with that. That name, because I, I know that they did write a lot of cartoon theme songs, and I think he is, uh, Shuki Levi is attached to a, a, a lot of different old animated series from the 80s. I'm trying to think of which, some of the ones that were him, where you would have thought it was Hanna-Barbera, because it was very similar. Right. But it was actually him. I think he might have done the Mr. T animated series. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> I think there was actually him and maybe someone else. Maybe, well, I think there was someone before Haim Saban. That, uh, hmm, all right, I'm digging around here. <laughs> Spider-Man Unlimited, he was connected to that, but that was when he was with Haim Saban. I'm um, going back in time, back in time. <laughs> 65 episodes of a Spider-Man television series, which that would have been the 90s series. Going further back and further back, there's a little shop listed. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, he was actually attached to that cartoon as well. Who knew? Space I think cats. we need to do a double feature of Little Shop of Horrors and Attack of the Killer Tomatoes animated series, Scott. <laughs> I totally I think have, I have to do that. Night planned. Yes, I think you make some popcorn, <laughs> order a pizza, and oh, watch well. animated versions of B movies. <laughs> yeah, my goodness. So I, I'm finding Shuki Levi attached to the Alf series, the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, Captain N that I had mentioned earlier, the real Ghostbusters, the Karate Kid, RoboCop. Uh, you, I don't know if you remember, I'm telling, I think that was kind of a, was that a game show? Something like that. Uh, the Dennis Menace series, uh, Barbie, there's a Barbie one. Huh. But, uh, yeah, a lot of, uh, different popples. I remember the popples. He actually was attached to a lot of things. There's mask. Yeah. So he's done a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Zoobly zoo even. Oh my goodness. I hadn't realized how many times I was, I was seeing his name attached to different animated series and then so you know you would think that something like little shop lived i imagine well except for he-man you know yeah that's true you know real ghostbusters ran for years and years the get along gang that's true i remember them there are only 13 episodes of the get along gang but i i I can always remember that theme song i loved that one and yes the mr t inspector gadget 
uh, Rainbow Bright, Jason the Wheeled Warriors. My goodness. Okay, well, I'm I'm cruising on a completely different sidetrack here, but <laughs> I, it's really cool. I mean, I'm I'm strolling down memory lane for cartoons I used to watch when I was younger, and so I'm kind of sidetrack on a really cool but it's kind of cool now we have a disney connection for him other than the fact that uh you know for a while disney did uh have a partnership of some sort i know with saban uh i don't know the details on that but i know they did separate but for a while i think he was back in 2009 when i was in walt disney world and we were in the hollywood studios i remember the power rangers were doing a live show out in the middle of the street yep i remember that Mm -hmm. and i told my friend josh uh let's go the other way Not a Power Ranger fan. So, so uh, recommendations to our audience. 1960 <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors. Yay or nay? Definitely. It's it's really silly, but it's fun. That was the 60s version? Yeah, the 1960s. Yes, the 60s. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. And it, like we said earlier, it's in the public domain, so it shouldn't be hard to find. Yeah. Right. If you have a chance to see the musical, I would highly recommend it as well. Yes, I, I enjoyed the uh, the local civic theater's production of it. It's it's a lot of fun, but there it is have a downer ending. Yes, <laughs> but it's got a moral lesson. You know, it, don't it, feed the plants. Well, yeah, don't feed the plants. <laughs> but the the nice thing about the the musical version is it does kind of show you that the choice of what are you willing to do to achieve your dreams. Are you willing to kill if it means that you're going to gain something? Because that's that's kind of what the the lesson that uh, that uh, Seymour does learn, and he learns that it's not worth it, you know, to gain everything when he had what was really important the whole time. Yep. But all the fame and all that stuff means nothing if you're if you're going to compromise your morals, you know, to do exactly. it. Exactly. So don't feed the plant. That's what that song really means. That's yep. what it's about. <laughs> and so. the 1982 film, definitely check that one out. The 82 is- film. 1986 film. Yeah, you mean 86. 86. Sorry. I was about to say 82 was the yes, musical. The musical but 86. Yes. <laughs> Definitely check that. It is a fun film. The music is great. If, mm-hmm. if you're a fan of the music from The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, you're going to like the music from here. Definitely. Especially it's got that nice, fun 60s style to most of the songs. So good. Enough of this sentimentality. We've got a job to do. And with the help of our friends, we're going to do it. Let's find that ghost host. Scott, did you remember to bring that PKE meter Jeremy sent us back when he accidentally brought ghosts to Disney, Indiana? I got it right here. You know, Jeremy's been causing a lot of accidental incidents around town. Are we sure we just don't want to leave him where he is? Scott! Okay, okay, it was just a thought. Looking for me? (laughs) That was easy. At last, you have come to Evil Land. Once I get rid of you two, Disney Indiana will be mine for the taking. From there, I'll unleash chaos and destruction on your world like no Disney fan has ever seen. This is the moment of my ultimate triumph. (laughs) Neverlanders, Disney geeks, hear us. We need you all to declare yourselves and say that you believe in fairies. Hey, this is Tim Nidell. I am Gary Lane from, from Saturday, Saturday Morning, Morning Rewind. Rewind. I'm Trenton Larkin from Who Did That Voice? I'm Lost Boy Eric. This is Meg Vag from the Mouseport Podcast. This is The Shadow from Arrow Squad. This is The Real Brian from The Real Brian Show. Hey, hey, this is Richard. And this is Sarah. From Skywalking Through Neverland. This is Paul Berry from The Window to the Magic Podcast. 
I'm Scott from Disney, Indiana. I'm Tracy from Disney, Indiana, and I believe in fairies. 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 And I believe fairies. And I believe in fairies. And we believe in fairies. And we believe in fairies. And we believe in fairies. We just don't believe in landing on Alderaan. Clap your hands, everyone. thousand years will give you such a crick in the neck. You were only gone for a month. Well, relatively speaking, it seemed longer. You brought him back? How? Because we all believe. If you can dream it, you can do it. And right now, I'm dreaming of blasting the ghost host back to where he came from. Well, thanks for coming to my rescue, everybody. You know what? I think it's time for a Halloween party. I've kind of missed up some of the fun of this month. Uh, You know what? I'm going to rig my Neverland version of Disneyland to play Hollow Wishes. So let's go for it. Party! Woohoo! I'm going to dress up like the Mortis. That's scary. (laughs) That is scary. season of them all. I am your host, your ghost host. (laughs) The 999 happy haunts and I are ready to materialize for a spooktacular celebration. You never know who will drop in. After all, this is Halloween. Boys and girls. 
girls of every age Wouldn't you like to see something strange? Come with us and you will see It's our world of Halloween Oh, this is Halloween, this is Halloween Pumpkins scream in the dead of night This is Halloween, everybody make a scene Trick or treat till the neighbor's gonna die of fright Disembodied friends would like to serenade you with some scary okey. Just a few of our favorite tombs that we dug up for the occasion. We hope you'll enjoy a little night music. <laughs> Feel free to sing along. We're just some poor unfortunate souls in pain, in need. Lumperoozles very sly. They come in ones and twosles, but if they so choose us, before your eyes you'll see them multiply. The elephants on parade, here they come, hibbity hobbity. They're here, and there be elephants everywhere. Look out! Look out! Pink elephants on parade! And he puffed, and he blew the 
Now, who could that be? Happy Halloween, darlings! <laughs> Why, the Sea Witch! So glad you could plop in. This is what I live for. It's such a wicked time of year, isn't it? And I have just the spell to put us all in the mood! The Lucas of Ruga come winds of the Caspian Sea. The Rhinxus Glacidus, Max Laryngitis, La Voce to me. Now sing. Sing! Sing! Kidding when they called me well a witch. <laughs> Listen up, sweet lips. I'll give you all a little treat. <laughs> Next year you'll be dressing like me. Unfortunate zone. <laughs> starting the fun without me. Why, you're dead right. Well then, let me treat you all to a little sorcery in the sky. <laughs> Man, you call that Magic? <laughs> Move on, old boy, and let Mr. Oogie kick it up a notch. Well, 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 what have we here? A trick-or-treater, huh? Oh, I'm really scared. So you're the ones they're talking about. <laughs> when Mr. Oogie Boogie says there's trouble close at hand, you'd better pay attention now, because I'm the boogeyman. Trick or treat. Ah, 
the Dark Queen herself. Happy Hollow Wishes to you. We're delighted you could creep on over. Why, we've only begun to heat things up. Let's show them just how spirited an All Hallows' Eve celebration can really be! <laughs> thrilling, wasn't it? And now, to end our ghostly gathering, we invite you to partake in our favorite Halloween tradition, the Scream-Along. Any volunteers? Just scream like you're trying to wake the dead! <laughs> Happy Haunts want to thank you for hanging around while we scared up a little Halloween fun. <laughs> we do hope you'll drop in again for another spooktacular celebration. Happy Halloween, everyone! <laughs> Just work.
I'm sorry, guys. I think it's like I, I think I got something in my throat. If you, I hope y'all excuse me. Well, thanks for everybody for for coming to the party and for rescuing me. Um, I really, <coughs> I better <coughs> get this out. Of my, th- I'll talk to y'all later. Hope he's gonna be okay. Yeah, I kind of worry about him sometimes. I guess we'll see come the rest of the holidays this year.
Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast.